Good evening. I'm Joshua, a member here at Night Service um, Hills and a student at Bible College. Um, Hills Baptist, with its soapbox program, which um, has taught us much about preaching, gave me the opportunity to share with you tonight. It's a privilege to be able to share the word with you, and it's been my prayer as I prepared for tonight that uh, his word stands alone and I get to just open it with you guys. So thank you, Nick, for appointing me to take you through Jonah 4. If you can open up to the last verse of Jonah 3, uh, you heard Jonah uh, 1 and 2 last week from Sarah, who's just up here before. Um, and yeah, you've heard most of Jonah 3, which is the background um, for what's happened in between Jonah's prayer from inside the guts of this great fish and the, um, this peculiar tale here in Jonah 4. I'll start by reading the passage for tonight until the end of the book, and then I'll open in prayer before sharing some insights as we continue to read this text together and see what God wants to teach us. Um, so from 3.10. When God saw their actions, they turned from their evil way of living. God relented concerning the judgment he had threatened them with, and he did not destroy them. This dis displeased Jonah terribly, and he became very angry. He prayed to Yahweh, or the Lord, and said, O Yahweh, this is what I thought would happen when I was in my own country. This is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to Tarshish. This is where Jonah fled in chapter 1, effectively running the opposite way to where God had commanded. Jonah continues in verse 2. This is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to Tarshish, because I know that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy and one who relents concerning threatening, threatened judgment. So now, Lord, kill me instead, because I would rather die than live. The Lord said, Are you really so very angry? Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made a shelter for himself there and sat down in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Since, as we've heard from chapter 3, Jonah prophesied Nineveh was to be destroyed, prior to them turning from their evil ways. Verse 6. Yahweh God appointed a little plant and caused it to grow up over Jonah, to be a shade over his head and to rescue him from his misery. Now Jonah was very delighted about the little plant. So God sent, or appointed, a worm at dawn the next day and attacked the little plant so that it dried up. When the sun began to shine, God sent a hot east wind so the sun beat down on Jonah's head and he grew faint. So he despaired of life and he said, I would rather die than live. God said to Jonah, are you really so very angry about the little plant? And he said, I'm as angry as I possibly could be. Yahweh said, you are upset about this little plant, something for which you have not worked, nor did you do anything to make it grow. It grew up overnight and died the next day. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, this enormous city? There are more than 120,000 people in it who do not know right from wrong, as well as many animals. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we pray in the name which unifies you, Father, Spirit, and Son. Lord, let your kingdom be revealed to us and teach us to seek after your desires first. Let us forgive one another as members of your body, that is the church, and let us truly forgive all who sin against us and leave judgment to you alone. 
Please help us to rely on you and to be continually teaching us through your character, your graciousness and compassion, and that you alone are full of mercy and slow to anger. We thank you and praise you for the forgiveness that is in the Son, Jesus Christ, and that you relent from judgment even when we don't feel we deserve it. Lead us away from trial and carry us far away from evil. We worship your name, O Lord. Amen. Just start my timer. Um, as we continue in this odd little part of the narrative of Jonah, the prophet who runs away from an all-powerful being, our Lord, rejects his call to mission, gives himself up, and has a fateful encounter with God's salvation in the gut of a great fish, it's worth considering again the question which Sarah posed for us last week. What if I don't want to follow God? Jonah wrestles with this and finally changes his tune. He obeys God, but his reaction to God's action shows he's trying to do it on his own terms. Borrowing from Sarah, I'll open up with a question for us to reflect on. Who is worthy of God's salvation? Are you worthy of God's salvation? We'll come back to that later. For now, can you think of a time where you felt really justifiably angry? Picture a teenager feeling restricted by their loving parent, knowing that overall their parent's motivation is love for them, but they're sometimes told no out of compassion to keep them safe, to help them develop. Now picture uh, a time feeling like you were hurt as a result of someone's sin. Have you felt frustration at the injustice of the world and suffering within it? Being angry about these things is okay. But unfortunately, God gives us through his word a way of expressing our very real feelings without the need for a flaming anger. The Bible teaches us the discipline of lament or calling out to God from your distress, like Jonah in his prayer in chapter 2. Utilize this gift on your own, or even better, with others. Ask a friend to pray for you, um, and yeah, if that sparks anything, we've got prayer corner, speak to an elder, or Nick, or myself after the service, and um, yeah, Abby and Ivy have, um, are helpful people to talk to. So, like Habakkuk and many others in Scripture, I've sometimes wrestled with understanding God's judgment. And I think we often question, why is question, why is it sometimes obvious why there is judgment and sometimes not? It can be really frustrating, um, yeah, in life to not be recognised for what you've done. Um, in, in the household, cleaning up after people's mess and sometimes feeling like it goes unnoticed. Um, pick up the slap, slack at work when things just don't get done. You do good work, but your contribution is missed. Uh, as a church community, consider compassion ministries. A team from night service went down to Victor Harbour to help the green team look after the needy and the poor in spirit. Do we feel like helping the schoolie who has made bad decisions is supporting their foolishness? Or do we see the bigger picture, that we're taught to have compassion, to be there and to show everyone in their weakness that they are loved, even when they seem undeserving in our own eyes? Do we feel entitled to justice? Jonah 1 and 2. 
As Sarah took us through last week, it's worth noting the narrator's use of direction throughout the narrative. Initially, Jonah is told to arise, go to Nineveh. And in order to flee, he gets up and goes the opposite way. And he goes down, down into the ship's hold, down onto his side further and to sleep. He's thrown into the ocean and down into God's appointed great fish. The prayer of chapter 2 describes motions. There was a turning point in his attitude in this prayer. He looks up, he sets his eyes on the Lord, and he declares this great thematic statement of the book, salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, mirror the beginning of chapter 1. God commands Jonah, arise, and in verse 3, he arises, and he obeys. In chapter, three, in chapter 2, he looks to God, and in chapter 3, he responds to this through action. I'll just take you through um, yeah, some comments as we work through the passage together on the screen. Um, and yeah, so more, more broadly, uh, tonight's on Jonah 4, but more broadly in Jonah 3, um, it, the, the, the chapter emphasizes God's sovereignty, his complete rule and power over his creation. By highlighting in chapter 3, verse 5, that the greatest to the least in Nineveh respond, even the animals, when people repent, God relents of judgment. When people repent, God relents. Salvation of all beings belongs to the Lord. Chapter 4. Rather than thanksgiving, praising Yahweh for relenting terrible destruction to come, Jonah prays this time, prays again, this time in anger rather than distress. In verse 2, Jonah shows he understands God's character, referring to the Exodus event and Moses' declaration in Exodus 34, verse 6. Jonah declares, You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and one who relents concerning threatened judgment. Like the teenager of the loving parent who is adamant that their parent is wrong when told no, they also deep down understand the love that motivates the decision. Jonah declares God's amazing, unchanging character, showing his proper understanding, but he's furious. He can't bear that he would forgive, that God would forgive the wickedness of a people that he, Jonah, doesn't consider worthy. He feels entitled to his own idea of justice, which I think we all need to consider carefully that we don't do this ourselves. In verse 4, Jonah selfishly wishes to die. His ideals of justice and fair outcome have come crumbling down and he can't bear God's choice of outcome. In verse 4, God takes control in narrative, asking a question of Jonah as he prepares to lead him uh, to understanding God's heart for his own creation. Are you really so very angry? Jonah storms off, still wishing for his own justice to come to pass. At this point, it's worth noting God's control over the book um, as a whole. Uh, the Hebrew verb used twice in verses 6 and 7 here, translated the Lord appointed, sometimes the Lord provided, or the Lord sent, is the same as the word he uses when he appoints the fish in chapter 1, verse 17. In verse 6, he shows he is happy at God's blessing of the plant providing extra shade. Yet in 7 to 8, we hear from Jonah for the last time. 
He was upset Nineveh wasn't destroyed, yet now he's upset that a plant was destroyed. From verse 9, God gives Jonah a chance to consider his perspective of justice. He says in verse 11, Should I not be more concerned about Nineveh, this enormous city? There are are more than 120,000 people in it who do not know right from wrong, as well as many animals. There's an entire city, 120,000 people, and Jonah is upset about a plant, and it's, it's God's plant. Um, so, yeah, moving on to my structure, um, got some loose points. Um, this is humanity's justice versus God's. Humanity's sense of justice is flawed under God's sovereign justice. Jonah's perspective on justice comes across strongly in this short narrative. It's tempting to think that he's completely wrong, with no understanding of true justice. But at its core, Jonah promotes justice that completely lacks compassion. Scene verse 2. Jonah's perspective, Nineveh is sinful and should be judged for it. Nineveh should be destroyed. Harsh, yes, but in the context of God's rule over humanity, it's not uncalled for. Nineveh are described as greatly evil and their ways as violent. Without repentance, Jonah's message that they'll all be destroyed is just to both God and Jonah. The difference? Jonah doesn't want Nineveh to repent, since he knows God will relent of this destruction. God in his sovereignty gives Jonah the words of coming destruction, because in his divine wisdom... He knows that this will bring about repentance of the Ninevites and he will relent of his destruction. Whereas Jonah, where Jonah is truly flawed is the way he tries to angrily wriggle his way out of this truth and justify his own idea of justice over God's. Jonah's story here in the Bible gives us hope. He's an extremely flawed individual, clearly illustrated as not, of not making himself worthy of God's grace. Yet he receives it, as we saw in chapter 2. We can relate to his sinful nature and compare it to Nineveh's. The conclusion, um, we realise that we are no more worthy to be saved or of salvation than anyone else. Jonah looks at the people of Nineveh's sin and he despairs that they haven't been destroyed for the sins. We look at the sins that people commit towards each other We should look at the sins that people commit towards each other with despair. We're sinful ourselves, exactly like the Ninevites. We can only look to God to be saved. We should all rejoice when someone turns towards God, leaving their sin behind. God will execute justice. And and when we turn towards him, he is merciful. This is what the Ninevites did, as we heard before in chapter 3. God's character, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And God is one who relents concerning threatening judgment. God calls his people to himself and he makes them his heirs. He adopts us as children, the church, should we accept him. This incredible grace should be infectious. We should let it shape us. That we can be gracious to all people who are no less worthy of his grace than we are. In chapter two, in chapter three, Jonah sees the greatest true mass repentance event ever recorded in biblical history. And instead of rejoicing and thanksgiving to God, 
he despairs and puts his own interests first. When God acts, his character is revealed and is always unchanging. When we see God's grace in action, we should always rejoice. And yeah, God, God uses object lessons to teach Jonah this lesson and highlight just Jonah's great selfishness and sense of entitlement. And if you put yourself in the shoes of Jonah, you can really feel with him, but also just realise that, yeah, he is just entitled. Um, the blessings, like the plant, which God graciously rises up for him, is taken by, for granted by him. Whereas the understanding that they're not actually his and they're God's to give and take, as illustrated by the worm, both actions by God, makes Jonah angry. Um, my next point is, God is sovereign over salvation. God acts in grace to the undeserving. There is no one worthy to receive it, yet it is offered and all we must do is accept it. As we open our Bibles to Matthew 20, Jesus illustrates a contrast between the reward we think we deserve and God's sovereignty overall in the parable of the workers or the parable of the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven, or God's revealed creation, is like a landowner, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers for the standard wage, he sent them to his vineyard. When it was about nine o'clock in the morning, he went out and he saw others standing around in the marketplace without work. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and I will give you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out about noon and three o'clock that afternoon, he did the same thing. And at five o'clock that afternoon, he went out and he found others standing around. He said to them, why are you standing here all day without work? And they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go and work in the vineyard too. When it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and pay, call the workers and pay their wages, starting with the last hired until the first. When those hired at five o'clock came, each received a full day's pay. And when those hired came first, they thought they would receive more. But each one also received the standard wage. When they received it, they began to complain against the landowner, saying, these last fellows worked one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who bore the hardship and the burning heat of the day. The landowner replied to one of them, friend, I am not treating you unfairly. Do you, did you not agree to me to work for the standard wage? Take what is yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave to you. Am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the, so the last will be first and the first last. God has universal right over his creation and he acts in mercy to give an equal gift of salvation to unequally unworthy people. When we accept God's act of grace through his son, Jesus, dying on the cross to redeem our sins forever, we may have had a different journey, but the gift of salvation is the same. A quote which I can't find where to attribute to holds a lot of weight. It says, The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Say that again. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. My 
Next point. Um, human anger clouds grace, that God is merciful and compassionate. Letting his motion, emotions cloud his reasoning, Jonah is greatly angered at the idea of an unpunished Nineveh. His prejudices lead him astray in the beginning, running away from his commission, refusing to take part in God extending his grace to the great city. His anger builds a great contrast between his character and God's, a character that he's very aware of, but it doesn't create the impact it should. To borrow from Nick, um, young adults pastor here, um, grace should be accepted and used to build up others around us. Knowing of this grace, Jonah channels his anger and his entitlement to puff himself up, considering his own right to grace as more than those around him. As we draw to a close, and the um, musos can make their way up, the book of Jonah speaks of two different groups of people that need to hear the same message. This takes us back to the opening question. Who is worthy of God's salvation? No one is worthy of salvation, but we're all given the offer to accept it. No one is worthy of salvation, but all are given the offer should they accept it. I'm going to say something to the Jonas and the Ninevites in the room. The Jonas refer to the people who are complacent with salvation that they have known and accepted. I'm guilty of this so often. The Jonas have received grace and need to let it continually shape them. The Ninevites refer to the people who don't feel like they deserve grace. Thank the Lord that none of us have to do anything to receive it, that in great love it is on offer to even the most sinful and most broken. To the Jonas, complacency in a life that follows Jesus is really unappealing. Grace is a gift, but also a characteristic. God models it, and we should pursue it so that our character can be described by grace. How can you prove that you have received grace if you don't show any? Choose grace and resist anger. A response to this is to live out Jesus' great commission for all who choose to follow him. From Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Like the sailors in chapter 1 and the Ninevites in chapter 3, God will make his purposes happen. I mean, Jonah doesn't even know the fate of the sailors. They just did that after he'd already been thrown overboard. If he calls you to be a part of it, and he's equipped you for the mission. Will you accept that calling? If not, he'll find someone else. But like Jonah, he will ask again. Having grace for the Ninevites, the people we're tempted to consider unworthy, should be a characteristic of God's family, the church. Consider if we as a church could be described as a community characterised by grace. Imagine for a moment what the church would look like and how that could impact the wider community. 
Christians failing to live out the grace they have received, like Jonah, know the truth, yet they do God's commission a disservice. When we look at the church around the globe in the media, it's no wonder that, no, that people don't see Christianity as appealing. They see far too many Christians and not enough grace. Don't just accept grace, be formed by it, as in Peter's second epistle, uh, the end, 3.18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. What happened to Jonah in the end? We don't know. It's a parable that's been left wide open. How will you act? And to the Ninevites. Jonah is carefully illustrated throughout this narrative of being completely unworthy of the gift of grace and is contrasted with the Ninevites who seem unworthy to him. Yet grace is available to even Jonah and even to the Ninevites. It is God's nature to care about the needy. It is God's nature care about you. He wants you to be free from your sin. He wants you to accept his grace and be in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. In the closing verse of Jonah, God reveals, should I not be even more concerned about Nineveh, this enormous city? For there are more than 120,000 people in it who do not know right from wrong, as well as many animals. God reveals that the Ninevites didn't matter because they repented. They matter personally to God because they exist and they are his. To the Jonas and the Ninevites, salvation is the Lord's and it has been given to you. What will you do with it? Let me close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for um, yeah the lesson we can learn through this book of Jonah and I just pray that we can all um, just really be filled with your grace um, accepting of it and to really act out on that and show grace to everyone that we can uh, live like Christ taught us to and though we are not worthy to have received that grace we have received it and therefore those who don't seem worthy around us we should share it in your name we pray amen You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.